May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts being always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I know it's here somewhere. On the mountain, from the cloud, the voice said, This is my son, the chosen. Listen to him. And then Jesus led Peter and James and John down the mountain into the valley of the shadow of death, leaving behind Moses and Elijah, who represented the 613 commandments found in the Hebrew Bible. And I'm fairly certain that even Roy Moore has never memorized the 613 <laughs> commandments found in the Old Testament canon. Jesus led them down the mountain to the valley of shadow of death to confront the demons of doubt and despair and fear and judgmentalism and whatever demons they could heal. C.S. Lewis once wrote these words about the Bible. He said, it is Christ himself, not the Bible, which is the true Word of God. The Bible, read in the right spirit, with the guidance of good teachers, will lead us to him. But we must not use the Bible like an encyclopedia out of which we take texts to use as weapons. Texts being another word for verses. In other words, we don't take verses out of the Bible to use as weapons. This Valentine's Day, my golf group had its annual Valentine's party. And this year, unlike all the years in the past, tradition was broken. They had sort of a lottery and you were assigned a seat. I was seated next to a 70-year-old woman who has recently become a Christian. She has joined one of those churches where they have all the answers. They just don't let anyone ask any questions whatsoever. And she couldn't stand it any longer. About the time we finished our salads, she turned to me and she said, John, you're an Episcopal priest and y'all are accepting of gay people. But she said, you know, Paul is pretty clear about all that in Romans. My mind starts going through Romans, you know, the 16th chapter, the first verse. There are two women who are deacons in the church, but of course, in the... 16th century that was translated as servants. And I started thinking about Martin Luther writing a commentary on Romans and all the things I could say in response to this woman. But finally, I just simply said, yes, we are very accepting of people and we try not to judge. That was the best I could muster. Jesus, the true Word of God, 
took with him Peter, James, and John down the mountain. He didn't take Moses and Elijah, who represented the law and the prophets. He took one commandment with him down the mountain into the valley of the shadow of death. Our brothers and sisters in Christ in the United Methodist Church are hurting today. I think we all know the hurt that they're feeling. We've been through it. Whenever the church takes a vote and splits itself in two, there's going to be pain and sorrow and weeping. It's always difficult when that happens. A bishop in the Methodist Church from Michigan had this to say about what happened in St. Louis this past week. He said many of the observers were LGBTQ and that pain and hurt was pretty palpable and it is important that that be acknowledged. But he went on to say it's hard for the church. There are people who are very glad that the traditional plan was passed due to their belief in the Bible. Well, it is of great interest to me about their belief in the Bible. Because the Methodists in their book of discipline now allow for remarriage in the church as we do. Well, where was their position on the Bible when that was changed. Very odd how they pick and choose exactly what verse out of the Bible they're going to use as a weapon against someone. But the most important thing for us to do is to be sensitive to our brothers and sisters in Christ who we know good and well are hurting this day is their church has been divided by a boat. And that's never a good thing. As C.S. Lewis said, we shouldn't select texts out of the Bible, verses out of the Bible to pick and choose what we do in the church to use those verses as weapons. When I think about people who go to the Bible, not necessarily to prove what it is they already believe. But you know, the, the good folks who just want to open the Bible with their eyes closed and put their finger down and use the Bible sort of like a Ouija board. I like those people. And it's a pretty dangerous thing, you know, academically to do with the Bible. But, you know, preachers would be wise to, for instance, not take that practice up because their finger might land on Numbers 22-28. I'll leave that for your homework assignment. <laughs> to ascend into the pulpit and, and put your finger down and read those words, would, well, they'd really make you look silly. But I think about people who go to the Bible that way to just put their finger down and see what the Lord's going to say to them. I think about a man who went to his pastor. He had more problems than an algebra book. And he said to his pastor, you know, pastor, I've got a good business, but we've got a cash flow problem. I've got bills to pay. I can't get the bank to lend me any money. I may just end up losing everything. And the pastor said, well, here's what you need to do. 
You had to go home, sit in a comfortable chair, open the Bible with your eyes closed, put your finger down, and the Lord will speak to you. Several weeks passed. The pastor was out in front of his church one Sunday morning, and the man with all the problems drove up in a brand new Maserati. His wife covered in jewelry. And the pastor thought, well, I'm going to go check this out. And he went and he asked the man, he said, well, what happened when you put your finger down in the Bible? The man looked at the pastor and he said, it said, chapter 11. <laughs> Clarence Jordan was one who went through some really difficult church fights. He was a Baptist minister. Back in those days when Baptists called people like Clarence moderates because they wanted everybody to worship together. He went through the civil rights movement. He had crosses burned in his yard. He got hit over the head one time. Clarence Jordan knew what church fights were like. And he talked about one time going on a trip He's driving from Georgia up through rural South Carolina. The year was 1960. Now you got a picture, 1960. Go back in your time machine. 1960 in rural South Carolina. He drove into a little town and sure enough there was a Baptist church, white picket fence, little cemetery on the side. And he said to himself, I'm going to go in and worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ here. He went into that church and it was like a theophany. It was like a heavenly vision. He could not believe his eyes. The church was fully integrated. Black people and white people in rural South Carolina, 1960, worshiping together. He absolutely could not believe his eyes. He could not wait to ask the pastor how the church got to be that way. So after the service, he went up to the pastor and he said, how did you get this church to be this way? The pastor said, what way? And Clarence said, well, you know, blacks and whites worshiping together here in rural South Carolina. How in the world does this church get to be like that? The pastor said, well, one day the, our pastor left and the deacons came to me and they asked me if I would be the pastor. And I told them I would. And on Sunday morning, I got up in the pulpit and I opened the Bible. And I closed my eyes and I put my finger down and it landed on Galatians 3.28, which says, In Christ there will no longer be Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he said, I preached that message until I ran out of breath. And after the service, the deacons came up to me and they said, I couldn't preach that message in that church. And I told the deacons we had to raise the church up the way God wanted it. With blacks and whites worshiping together. No need for two Baptist churches in our little town any longer. And Clarence said, well, what happened after that? And the pastor said, I fired them deacons. <laughs> and I raised the church up the way God wanted it. Good Christian people. Disagree about all kinds of things. Just 
thumb through the New Testament sometime and get a sense of that. If we go to the Bible to find ammunition to support our position, we will find it. I guarantee you you can. But if we go to the Bible to find Jesus, our Lord, the true Word of God, we will find Him as well if we seek Him with all of our hearts. In our Gospel lesson, Peter wanted to stay on the mountaintop basking in the glory of Christ's divinity. But Jesus led Peter and James and John down the mountain. A day after coming down from the mountain, they were met by a large crowd and a man in the crowd begged Jesus to heal his son who was possessed by a demon. We don't know what that demon was. Epilepsy maybe, schizophrenia, who knows? But Jesus, when he realized that his disciples had failed to cure this man, touch him, hold him, because he was ritually unclean, Jesus gave them a dirty look. And he, he refused to get near the boy. They refused to get near the boy. Then he healed him. Jesus, the true word of God, leads us down the mountain to the valley. He leads us to where the demons of doubt, despair, fear, and judgmentalism reside. He bids us to his way of love, which is guided by one commandment, leaving the 613 up on the mountaintop. And that one commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples, this commandment I give you, that you love one another. The voice from the cloud says to us this day, this is my son, the chosen. Listen to him. Let us open our hearts to hear his still, small voice call us to follow in his way of love. And his way of love is always downward mobility, never upward mobility. Always down the mountain, never up the mountain. He calls us in that way of love with all the pitfalls that go along with it. And he comforts us by saying to us this day, be not afraid. 